to find the origins of the Lone Ranger way back. A fiery horse for the speed of light, a cloud of dust, and a hearty high silver, the Lone Ranger. That broadcast would have been Halloween 1938, one day after WIBC, then AM, went on the air. The Lone Ranger first appeared more than five years prior to that, January 31st, 1933, on WXYZ Radio in Detroit. That's right. Unlike many movies, which came from a novel, maybe a play on Broadway, The Lone Ranger was born on radio, created by WXYZ owner George Trendle. Well... The idea may have come from one of his writers, Franz Stryker, when Mr. Stryker worked at a station in Buffalo a few years earlier. But Trendle owned the show, so of course he got the credit. They were trying to make their, their mark as, uh, as an independent uh, uh, station. They had broken from their network affiliation. And um, the thing is, they, they needed something to uh, compete uh, directly with the, uh, the, the more uh, famous fair. In some ways, the Lone Ranger was like creating by a business need, by creative community, but it worked because it got the essence of, of what makes a hero. Wally Pedrajic is curator of the Museum of Broadcast Communications, home of the Radio Hall of Fame in Chicago. The Lone Ranger worked not only with kids, for whom it was designed, but grown-ups, because he was a different kind of hero. Someone who had um, a very distinct personality in the sense of he was a Western hero that didn't necessarily rely on his guns. He didn't, sh he didn't kill characters, and he was truly a champion of the good. The Lone Ranger was so popular on WXYZ, the show helped create the fourth of the four big networks during radio's golden era, as the mutual broadcasting system came along to challenge CBS and the two NBC networks, Red and Blue. Because in effect it became the core that started the mutual network. That's true. In, in, it was basically uh, the marquee name for uh convincing stations to, to, to join that network. WIBC would join the Mutual Network after we hit the air in 1938. When you think of the Lone Ranger, what is the first thing that comes to mind? Poor William Tell. Nobody knows who he is anymore because his overture was stolen by that masked man from the very beginning of the radio show up until now. Now, a lot of folks think of the TV show, which ran from 1949 to 1957. They think of Clayton Moore as the man with the black mask and the white hat. Army Hammer is now that man. He's the Lone Ranger in the movie. Outlasting them all, though, were the two main actors who put the mask on, even though the listener couldn't see them. Brace Beamer, starting in 1941, and for much of the first eight years of the show, Earl Grazer, who, as Pedrajic tells us, was tragically killed in a car crash as he was on his way to the studio to do the show. That's where an example of the character supersedes the, the performer, in that it was such a strong, identifiable character that someone can come in, even, even under um, a tragic situation like that, and, and be accepted uh, by, the, uh, by the listening public. Amazingly enough, his Indian companion Toto, now made famous in the movie by Johnny Depp, was, with the exception of a handful of episodes, played by one man, John Todd, for the show's entire 21-year radio run. Look, Kimasabi, wagon's coming this way. Maybe you'll go see Lone Ranger at the movie, but judging by what some of the critics are saying about the film, you might be better off jumping online and finding a few of the 2,956 episodes of The Lone Ranger in our favorite medium, the radio. Yes, he's got go power. There he goes. <laughs>
He's feeling his Cheerios. Brought to you indeed by General Mills. Don't forget to check that box of Cheerios for your Lone Ranger six-shooting ring, Abdul. With the speed of light, a cloud of dust, and a hearty high silver, the Lone Ranger. This is the legend of a man who buried his identity to dedicate his life to the service of humanity and country. It is the story of the origin of the Lone Ranger. Early settlers in the West had to be brave men and women, ready to fight for their lives at any moment. There was danger on every side. There were wild beasts, savage Indians, and the Cavendish Gang. Butch Cavendish headed a pack of outlaws. They struck without warning to steal and kill. Open fire on that wagon train! Wipe them out to the last minute! Cavendish gang attacked ranches and towns as well as wagon trains. Everyone feared Butch Cavendish. His gang grew rich and powerful. Finally, the Texas Rangers learned where Butch Cavendish and his gang were hiding. Six Texas Rangers guided their horses along a canyon floor to arrest the Cavendish gang. Presently, Captain Reed signaled a halt. Rating boys, we'll wait here until a scout returns. Do you think it was a good idea to send Collins, our guide, on ahead? It was Captain Reed's younger brother who asked the question. The captain explained that Collins, who was not a Texas Ranger, was the only man who knew the country and who could scout ahead for information. Then, while the Texas Rangers waited for the guide's return, the captain said to his younger brother, My wife and son are coming from the east. If something happens to me... And you survive. Well, I know you will take care of her and Danny. Right. I'm going to count on you to resign from the Rangers and work that silver mine we staked out. See that my son and his mother get my share. I promise. Here comes Collins, the scout. Oh, 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 Kenny. Uh, what's the word, Collins? Good news, Captain Reed. It's all clear. I scouted the rim on both sides of the canyon and found no sign of the cabin is out there. All right, boys, let's go. Get up there. Collins, the guide, lagged behind unnoticed by the Texas Rangers, who moved in single file along the floor of the rock-strewn canyon. They didn't know that Coons had lied, that Butch Cavendish and his killers were waiting in ambush on the rim on both sides of the gap. Here come those Rangers, boys, just as Collins told us. Yeah, there they are. Now, we can't get down to the floor of the canyon without going a long way back, and it'll be dark in half an hour. So we'll just keep pouring lead into them from up here until we're sure they're dead. Then we won't be taking any chances. Now, open fire! Rangers leap from their saddles and spread out as they return the fire from both sides of the canyon. Soon, four of the rangers were killed. Captain Dan Reed and his brother, wounded several times, kept fighting side by side. Then the captain fell mortally wounded, and a moment later, his younger brother, the last of the rangers, slumped to the ground. waited and watched for any sign of life from the rangers, then rode away, convinced that all six men in Bryant's Gap were dead. Sunset came, then darkness.
Wright and an Indian examined the bodies by moonlight. After examining the first five men, he muttered softly, Hmm, them dead. Then he came to the sixth man, the younger brother of the captain. And this man, lives. The Indian lifted this man tenderly in his strong arms and carried him to a nearby cave where he bathed and dressed the wounds. Then he took a spade from one side of the cave and returned to the canyon where he worked steadily until the dead men had been buried. Returning to the cavern, he sat watching through the remaining hours of the night. Daybreak found the ranger stronger, but by nightfall, the wounds had become infected. The Indian called on all his knowledge to treat the wounded man. He went day and night without rest. the fourth day when the ranger opened his eyes and for the first time the Indian saw them clear and calm. Are you awake? Me glad. Yes, I... But so weak. You wounded man. I... I remember an ambush. Not right. We find you in canyon. Carry you here to cave. It... It's daylight. It's morning. Then I... I must have been unconscious all night. It's several days since fight in canyon. Several days, huh? There, there's something familiar about you. You, you remember? Many years ago, you only boy. You find Indian boy in trouble. You save life, Indian boy. Yes. Your name is Tonto. That right. Years ago, you called me Kimosabe. That right. And you still Kimosabe. It means faithful friend. Tonto, there were six of us in that canyon. The others. What about the other rangers? Other ranger. All dead. Dead. Uh, One was my brother. You, only ranger left. You, lone ranger. Concealed. A disguise, perhaps. Or a mask. That's it. A mask. I'm the only one who knows about the Cavendish gang. With your help, Tonto, I'll get every one of those crooks. In the ranger's eyes, there was a light that must have burned in the eyes of knights in armor. A light that through the ages lifted the souls of strong men who fought for justice, for God. I'll be the Lone Ranger. everybody, I'm Dennis Daly. I spent 20 years with United Press International, most of it with the old UPI radio network. And my favorite assignment was going on the road producing and hosting American Montage. It was an hour-long weekly program. Now here's an edited version of one of those shows. 
From right after World War II until the end of the run, Fred Foy was the announcer for the Lone Ranger in a style no one can forget. Finally, the Texas Rangers learned where Butch Cavendish and his gang were hiding. In many ways, the legendary Fred Foy was as important to the Lone Ranger program as was the star Brace Beamer or any other member of the cast. Today, Fred Foy lives in semi-retirement in the Boston area. He tells me the world needs to return to a time when heroes, such as the Lone Ranger, were looked up to. Here is the picture of the, the stalwart uh, masked man, his, his uh, Indian companion who uh, actually saved his life in the ambush at uh, Bryant's Gap. And uh, it's that marvelous combination of... Uh, of, of the, the hero who fights for good and for justice. And uh, that has certainly been one of the uh, factors that have uh, been uh, the reason for its popularity. I mean, it, uh, when I was with the show, I remember so many scripts that, uh, that dealt with uh, uh, some of the historical figures uh, in, uh, in, out of history that uh, with the Lone Ranger involved in, in uh, some of their uh, situations. But uh, it's something that is missing today, I think. We need more heroes like that mask man. You were telling me before going on the air that here was a man who was not just an actor, but Brace Beamer, in a way, lived the part of the Lone Ranger. Oh, yes. Brace uh, actually was a great outdoorsman. He had a, a farm. Uh, we sometimes refer to it as his ranch out in Oxford, Michigan. And he bred horses. He was an outdoorsman, and, and at his ranch, he kept uh, Silver and Scout in the stable out there. And uh, uh, he, uh, he was an all-around, uh, he was a great rider, uh, and uh, also he knew how to handle the six guns and rifles and whatever. And uh, he was a handsome, tall, uh, uh, good-looking gentleman, and he fit the role, even though it wasn't a visual role at the time. And, of course, he had the voice uh, that, that really uh, uh, brought that character to life. He had such a reassuring... I, uh, my voice isn't low enough to do it, but this calm, wonderful voice. And, and never really shot at anybody. He would shoot the gun out of their hand. He, he, he was not a nasty good guy. <laughs> That's right. No, he would always, either the gun would fly out of the hand or he would, he would uh, um, maybe uh, graze their shoulder, but never, never killed anyone, never shot to kill anyone. And even in the episode where... Uh, you recall it all began with Butch Cavendish and his outlaw gang. And the, why, why don't you why don't you go through and, and tell us how the the character was born? Well, uh, in the in the episode uh, that brings the Lone Ranger to life, uh, to to make it brief, uh, there's a group of Texas Rangers, and uh, they are trailing Butch Cavendish and his gang of outlaws. And they send a scout ahead who tells them, ah, he, they are, we must go through the canyon, and they are camped on the other side and whatever, and we can deal with them there. So the, <coughs> the leader uh, uh, says, fine, we will take our, the rangers will go through. And in the meantime, of course, as they approach and go through Bryant's Gap, the outlaws are on either side of the canyon, ready to ambush all of the rangers as they go forth. This happens, they're ambushed, and they leave all rangers to be dead. Uh, then they ride away, and uh, uh, now uh, dusk arrives, and an Indian riding through suddenly sees 
the uh, massacre and walks through and suddenly finds that one man is still alive. So he takes the ranger and takes him to a, his cave and nurses him back to health. Are you weak? Me glad. Yes, I... But so weak. You wounded man. I... I remember an ambush. Isn't that right? There were six of us in that canyon. The others. What about the other rangers? Other ranger. All dead. Dead. Uh. One was my brother. You only ranger left. You lone ranger. The companionship began there between the two and... Uh, they uh, went out to hunt down the Cavendish gang. Eventually, they do come, they, they get the gang, and, and Butch Cavendish goes to jail. And then in the 20th anniversary episode, which is a beautiful episode, uh, it, it starts, it covers all of the beginnings of how he became the Lone Ranger. And then he's talking to his nephew, Dan Reed, telling him uh, all that has happened previously. And uh, they are they are sort of on a on a little uh, ride into the into the uh, outlands when suddenly they're rifle shots and they're attacked and it turns out of course that it's Butch Cavendish who has escaped from jail and is now out to get the ranger. To make a long story short again, <laughs> they finally confront each other and there's a tremendous fight on the on a hillside and. Uh, uh, and in, in the fight, finally, Butch Cavendish goes over the, the cliff, and that, and uh, Tonto and the ranger go down to where he has fallen, and they find that he's, he's still alive. And the, the scene, uh, the ranger says, uh, is talking to him, and he says, he says, I want you to know who, f who found you. And he said, and he, the first time the ranger takes his mask off, and Cavendish says, you, and so on. And then he knows who his, who his, uh, his uh, champion of justice was. The outlaws waited and watched for any sign of life from the rangers, then rode away, convinced that all six men in Bryant's Gap were dead. Then my name shall be forever buried with my brother and my friends. From now on, my face must be concealed. That's it. A mask. I'm the only one who knows about the Cavendish gang. With your help, Tonto, I'll get every one of those crooks. What does it feel like for you when someone comes up to you, maybe even a small child, uh, two generations away from what we refer to as the golden age of radio, and realize who you are, and that sound that epitomizes much of that era. What does it feel like for you to, to almost have a third career now based upon people's memories of all of this? Well, it's, it's very rewarding, believe me, and it's humbling, and uh, it's, uh, it, in a way, it's hard to believe. As I said, I, we, we thought uh, that we were do just doing a, a show and, and a job on the air, and then to later find out you, it's become part of legend that it's really... Uh, then you feel how fortunate you were to have been a part of it and uh, uh, and all the people that were involved in it uh, uh, it, it just was a wonderful time and, and I, I, I really feel quite humble uh, when I find out that people think that much of the show and, and my part in it 
I, I don't think there are three people in the English-speaking world probably who haven't heard your voice at least once. <laughs> well, Dennis, thanks a million. I appreciate it, and, uh, uh, well, I hope to be going on for quite a while yet. <laughs> in the ranger's eyes, there was a light that must have burned in the eyes of knights in armor. A light that through the ages lifted the souls of strong men who fought for justice, for God. I'll be the Lone Ranger. You know, there aren't many gentlemen left around, but one of them is Fred Foy. And there you have it, another edited episode of one of the American montage programs prepared for the UPI radio network back in the 1980s and 90s. I'm Dennis Daly. Thanks for listening. Thanks for going with me this week. And check YouTube for more American montage programs. I think best of all, I'd like to be remembered uh, as a part of the Lone Ranger uh, and uh, a, a part of uh, that era of radio broadcasting when, uh, uh, when there were so many other uh, challenges and, and wonderful shows. And uh, I'll always, always in my lifetime uh, thank uh, the good Lord for directing me to the Lone Ranger and all of the beautiful things that came out of that uh, relationship. And uh, there were many, and they were all really <laughs> directly associated with my, with my part in that uh, marvelous program. Well, uh, to end <coughs> our interview, uh, uh, what I'd like to ask you to uh, do the opening for us. And, uh, all right. <laughs> I'd be very happy to. All right. A fiery horse with the speed of light a cloud of dust, and a hearty high silver the Lone Ranger. With his faithful Indian companion Tonto, the daring and resourceful mask rider of the plains, led the fight for law and order in the early western United States. Nowhere in the pages of history can one find a greater champion of justice. Return with us now to those thrilling days of yesteryear. From out of the past come the thundering hoofbeats of the great horse Silver. The Lone Ranger rides again. Easy, steady, big fellow. Hi, oh, Silver! Hooray! <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> okay, for the Archive of American Television, thank you very much for telling us your well, story. Well, I thank you very much for having me. Thanks so much. It's been a wonderful. <laughs>